Welcome to the Cornerstone Truth New Creation Podcast. Each week we'll explore fundamental truths about the genuine love of Christ being manifest through His people, the Church. During these studies, we will discover that the sincere love of Christ flows from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. This is the goal of our instruction, and we are so thankful you're listening today. Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Psalms in chapter 16 and verse 11. Uh, This is the anchor verse that we have been using so far this year, and there's so much here. And although I've been doing a lot of introducing of the idea of the, the power of presence, defining what presence is, and then building on that, I want to go back and look at this passage of Scripture once again. And uh, verse uh, 11, Psalms chapter 16, Psalm 16 and verse 11. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. And I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Acts in chapter 2 as well. Here we see the Apostle Peter uh, preaching the gospel um, and establishing the New Testament church as uh, directed by Jesus Christ. And we see uh, the Apostle Peter actually quoting this passage of Scripture. And uh, he quotes it, and it's a little bit different. Take a look. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 25. In the context of his gospel sermon, Peter quotes this Old Testament passage. For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Now, David quotes this Old Testament passage from the book of Psalms, but really it's the voice of Jesus Christ. Uh, Christ is speaking through the psalm, and this was his heart and is his heart even today. And so because we have talked about As Christians, the old man has been done away with. Uh, We were slaves to sin, enslaved uh, in trespasses and sin, but God made us alive together with Christ, it says in the book of Ephesians and 2, as we talked about last week. But then it says he raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places. So this passage of scripture can be ours as well. For if you're a Christian this morning, you are in Christ and you are present in heaven, seated at the right hand of God in Christ Jesus. And Christ, of course, is in you. And so this morning, we're going to continue on that thought, but we're going to go back and we're going to focus on Psalms uh, 16 and how we can actually consistently, through faith, dwell in the fullness of joy, dwell in the pleasures forever, and also, too, to fully understand how to walk this life, this abundant life that God has given to us in Christ. And so, let me begin this morning by asking you a couple questions. Isn't it amazingly powerful when you are able to spend time with a man of integrity or a woman of virtue 
and it's genuine and it's real and it's constant, you can actually depend on them. They are the same yesterday and they're going to be the same today and you know exactly how they're going to be tomorrow. And we have been called to walk in the path of life, the life that Jesus Christ established for us. That's what Psalm 16 and verse 11 says. You will make known to me the path of life. Our heart should be, Lord, make me know the path of life, the abundant life, the life of Jesus Christ. But notice it says that in the presence of God, there's fullness of joy. And so it's very unusual. Maybe we could use the word peculiar or maybe even strange that someone that we know lives fully in joy. Now, I think sometimes we don't really fully understand what joy is. We think joy is smiling and happy and bubbly, and and that's not necessarily joy. I don't see Jesus bubbly on the cross, and yet there was fullness of joy. And James tells us to consider all joy in times of great trial. So, in the presence of God, by faith, a transcendent faith, we are able to dwell in the fullness of joy. We are present in the fullness of joy right now. If you have been raised up and if you are seated with him in the heavenly places. That's why the apostle says, if then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, for Christ is seated at the right hand of God. For you are hidden in Christ with God. Right now, present tense. And so the last thing is, is the, the <clears throat> not the fullness of joy only, but that we can have pleasures forever. You know, we think oftentimes pleasures have to do with our sensual being. And yet there are spiritual pleasures that we can have all the time, no matter the circumstance or situation. And so that's what we want to work on. But the question is, is how do you get that? How do you get to that place, not only being seated with him, but fully recognizing and understand that's where you are and that is your experience right now? How do you get there? That's a great question. Turn with me to the book of Romans in chapter 4. Book of Romans in chapter 4. The Apostle Paul is trying to help the brethren in Rome to realize that through the, the faith of Abraham, which is really the same as the faith of Jesus Christ, which we are to possess ourselves, not just faith in Christ, but the faith of Christ, that through the faith of Abraham, through the faith of Christ, we are seated with him in the heavenly places and we can remain there and dwell there. So our, our faith that's transcendent will not be based upon what we see in this life. Our, our responses will not be based on what we see in this life, but rather who we are and where we are. And so two points this morning. Faith of Abraham, what is it? Faith of Christ, what is it? And then in the weeks to come, we're going to continue to build on this, this lesson. So here we go. And we're going to read the whole chapter. And I would really encourage you to go back and read it several times because there's amazing information in here that we need to fully understand about the faith of Abraham. 
So let's begin. What then shall we say that Abraham our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has nothing to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what's due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him, excuse me, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven, whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Now, is this blessing then on the circumcision or the uncircumcised also? For we say, faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised. So, now get this, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness might be credited to them, and the father of the circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. Let me read verse 12 again. That's a very crucial verse. He's talking to Christians here. He's talking to people who are from a Jewish descent and from a a secular or a, a Gentile descent. Verse 12. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also follow the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants, his his seed, that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. For the law brings about wrath, but where there's no law, there's no violation. For this reason, it is by faith in order that it may be in accordance with grace so that the promise will be guaranteed. The promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, a father of many nations have I made you. Now I want you to listen very closely to the rest of verse 7. In the presence of him, in the presence of God whom he believed, Even God, he gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. In hope against hope, he believes so that that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, Abraham, without becoming weak in faith, contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb, Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, 
giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able to perform. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sakes also, to whom will, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him, who raised Jesus, uh, our Lord, from the dead. He was delivered over because of transgression and was raised because of our justification. The first point then this morning is the faith of Abraham. The faith of Abraham. And I just want to point out a couple things in this passage of scripture. Abraham was justified by faith and not by works alone. Now we're going to find out that faith will motivate action. In fact, if faith does not motivate action, it is not biblical faith. But Abraham always responded to God by having a faith in the power of God and what God was able to do through his promise. And so even though Abraham could not see from the physical standpoint how God's promise could be, he followed through with whatever God asked him to do. So notice his conviction was in the power of God and God's power through his faith. And he acted based on that faith and then God blessed, as we're about to see. Now, there's a couple points I want to make here this morning. First of all, that that uh, uh, Abraham was justified by God's power to forgive. He was justified by God's power to forgive. That's why we see here in the book of Romans in chapter 4, where we're talking about the faith of Abraham and Paul brings in what David said, how blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven as far as they are the east from the west. And that happens through our faith, not in what we do, but rather faith in what God has done and continues to do for those people of faith. But there's a second point here that's just as important. Not only has God forgiven us and justified us through the cleansing by his blood, but he's also filled with his, filled us with his spirit by which we are sanctified. The scripture memory verse that I'm working through this week is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. I encourage you to study that carefully. We were called before the foundation of the world through the gospel to be sanctified by the work of the Holy Spirit and by the faith of Christ. And so we must recognize and understand that not only are we justified by the faith of Abraham, but we're also sanctified as Abraham was. You see, it says, the father of all who believe. Go back and just take a couple little verses here. Taking a look once again there at verse 11. He says he, he received the seal of this righteousness, Abraham did, uh, of the faith which he had while uncircumcised, so that he, Abraham, might be the father of all who believe. You see, you don't have to be circumcised, but you must believe. And you must have the faith of Abraham. We're going to define that in just a moment. But look a little bit further down. Look at verse 12. He says, Those who follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised, 
He's talking to Christians. He says, Christians, we need to follow in the faith of Abraham. So when we define the faith of Abraham, you're going to find out that's the same as the faith of, of Christ. Christ followed in the footsteps of Abraham according to what the word of God told him to do. So the word of God speaks to us today and we need to follow through by faith. And so one last verse I would like you to take a look at and that is uh, verse uh, 16. For the reason, for this reason it is by faith in order that it may be in accordance with grace so that the promise will be guaranteed God's promise is guaranteed as we step up and walk by the faith of Abraham to all the descendants, not only to those who are the law, the Jewish people, but also to those who are the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. And so we need to recognize and understand that this great man of faith is a man that we can look to and we can emulate, especially based upon what Paul says in regards to his faith. Now, I want you to take a look at James chapter 2 with me. James chapter 2. In the context in Romans in chapter 4, we see that, that, that Abraham, though his body was good as dead and Sarah's womb was as good as dead, he believed that God was going to grant to him a son of his flesh and blood that would carry on the family line. He was not able, Sarah was not able, but God said, you will have a son. And in fact, within the year, Sarah bore him a son, Isaac. He was the child of promise by the power of God to do the impossible. And so it's so important for us to recognize and understand then that this next passage also is an example of his faith. Going to the book of James in chapter 2, the faith of Abraham demonstrated once again by which he manifested the righteousness that comes by, by faith in the book of James in chapter uh, 2, and I want to begin in uh, verse 18. James chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. But, some way, but someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Now verse 21. Verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. Now, so important for you to recognize and understand that that first example of righteousness by faith was when God told Abraham, you shall have a son of your own flesh and blood, you're not going to be giving it to a servant's child. You're going to be giving it to your own flesh and blood. That was impossible. And yet Abraham believed and it came true. Not because of what Abraham did, but because of God's promise. And Abraham followed through faithfully. But here we have another example of Abraham's faith, where it says that he was justified by the righteousness of faith. But notice what it says. By faith, Abraham was willing to offer up his son Isaac. You know the story. God calls Abraham to offer his son Isaac on an altar on Mount Moriah. It's a three days hike to the Mount Moriah. And the scripture clearly teaches that Abraham considered his son 
as good as dead. The scripture actually teaches that. So for three days, I can just see Abraham mourning the death of his son, even though it had not happened. He was determined in his heart because God had asked him to sacrifice his son Isaac, that he would do so. For three days, he went to Mount Moriah. And you remember, Isaac said, hey, you know, dad, we got the wood and uh, uh, we got the knife and we got the fire, but we're missing one thing, dad. Remember what Abraham said? God will provide. How did Abraham believe God would provide? Turn with me to the book of Hebrews and chapter 11. How did Abraham believe that God would provide? He knew that God could provide because he produced a child that was impossible, a child of promise, a child of God's power. And now we see, is he going to actually go through with it? I believe Abraham had every intention. He was so resolved that his son was good as dead. Take a look at Hebrews in chapter 11 and read carefully with me what it says there in verse uh, 17, 18, and 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, in Isaac your descendants shall be called. God said, promised that through Isaac all of his descendants would be called. But God had told him, you take your son and you sacrifice him. Isaac was good as dead. He took that knife and he was ready to plunge it in. And the reason that Abraham was able to say to Isaac, God will provide, is because Abraham knew something. What did Abraham know? Look at the last verse here, verse 19. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead. Here we go. From which he, Abraham, also received him, Isaac, back as a type. You see, we need to recognize and understand that Abraham's faith has two important parts to it. And those important parts are important for you and me to possess as the faith of Christ, as the faith of Abraham. It says we're supposed to walk in the steps of the faith of Abraham. We need to believe in the power of God and that he'll follow through on his promises. And so by faith, we respond. So here it is. Go back to Romans in chapter four with me. Romans chapter 4 and, and verse 17. The faith of Abraham. Romans 4 and verse 17. Listen very carefully what the Apostle Paul says. There are two defining marks of the faith of Abraham. They're the same as the faith of Christ. They're the same as the faith that we are called to possess. In, in verse 17. It says, as it is written, a father of many nations have I made you in the presence of God, whom Abraham believed, even God, who gives life to the dead, resurrection, and calls into being that which does not exist, a new creation. 
Let me say that again. This God who gives life to the dead, resurrection, and calls into being that which does not exist, a new creation. Now, stop for just a minute and think with me. In Romans chapter 4, Abraham believed that God was able to do the impossible and bring forth that from his own body, his wife's womb, that which is impossible, a child that would carry on the family line. Creating something out of nothing. It's impossible, isn't it? Not with God. Is God able to take a person who's dead in their sins and trespasses as God labels darkness, as God labels sin, and bring them into existence as a new creation, a child of light? What's the answer? God is able. And we need to believe that God is able. But also, too, we need to recognize that God is able to raise people from the dead. Abraham believed that. And so take a look at that other part there. See that he was able to do what? That God powerfully was able to give life to the dead and calls him to being that which does not exist. That must be our faith. We must believe that when we obey the gospel by faith, that we are raised up with him to walk in newness of life. We must believe that. And we must also believe that when we're raised up, we're a new creation, powerfully filled with the Spirit of God, able to do all things through Christ who strengthens us. But now let's go to the faith of Christ. The faith of Christ is the same as the faith of Abraham. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Galatians and chapter 2. Galatians and chapter 2. Now, Galatians chapter 2, when when we're reading this, can get a little, uh, get you kind of a little messed up, but we're going to go through it, and and just a couple verses, hopefully we'll be able to show that uh, we are to possess the faith of Christ. All right. So Galatians chapter 2, and and according to your lesson plans, uh, verse 15 and 16. Notice what the Apostle Paul says. And remember, he's speaking to Christians who are struggling with law-keeping. That's really the emphasis here. So he's trying to help people that are Jewish uh, of descent, that are law-keeping, and they're spewing that into the brethren who are not. He's trying to help them to look. It's about the faith of Christ. It's not about keeping the law. In fact, uh, uh, I don't want to fall asleep and some of you are looking kind of tired. So could somebody open that door more and the front door more? That would be great. This is an important point. Take a look here, Galatians chapter two. And these two little verses say so much. We are Jews by nature and not sinners from the Gentiles. That's a pretty harsh statement, but truth. He says, we are Jews by nature and not sinners from Gentiles. In other words, we were born into the family line of Abraham. Everybody else? Not. Look at the next verse. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. So he just tells the Jewish folks, it's not by the law that you're justified before God. It's not by law keeping the do not handle, the do not taste, the do not touch that he talks about that sadly oftentimes is a part of the church. We just switch one set of ugly rules and regulations for another. It's by the faith of Christ that we're able to live powerfully for him and filled with joy and pleasures forever. 
no matter what the circumstance. Well, let's read this again, verse 16. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through the faith of Christ Jesus. Now you're saying, if you're reading a new, uh, a new translation, that's wrong. It says faith in Christ. No, they translated it wrong. It's in the genitive case. It literally should be translated here in verse 16 that, uh, but through Christ Jesus' faith, through the faith of Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Jesus. Notice, we need to believe in Christ Jesus and then we need to possess the faith of Christ Jesus. Both are essential. Believing in Christ Jesus, who he is, what he's done, what he continues to do as our high priest, absolutely. But we must walk in the steps of Christ like Abraham walked by faith in Christ and his promises. It says here, even we Jewish people have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. Twice the faith of Christ is used there. You go back and check me out. That's in the genitive case. We are to possess the same exact faith as Christ. And I would go as far as to say, and I want you to study this out, we need to possess the faith of Abraham, believing that he is able to raise people up from the spiritually dead, that they might walk in the newness of life and create a new creation so that the old man, the old woman, the mess that you were is no longer the mess that you are, but rather you are now a saint, holy one of God, empowered by the Spirit to be more than a conqueror in this Christ Jesus. Not only are you surviving, you should be thriving, and you should be even more overcoming as more than a conqueror. You should be a liberator in people's life. A conqueror subjects. We should draw all people into the freedom of Christ so that we'll be liberators more than conquerors. That's the faith of Christ. He came not as a conqueror, but as a liberator to set the captives free. Amen? That's the faith we have. And so let's read on. The next verse, Galatians 2 and verse 20. The Apostle Paul makes this statement. I pray that you'll memorize it and you'll embrace it as your own because if you are a Christian, according to the standard of the word, having obeyed the gospel, having heard it, and choosing to realize that your life was a mess and repenting of all known sin with a commitment to continue to repent until a perfectly transformed mind, by faith you desire to be crucified, buried, and raised up with Christ in the waters of immersion so that you may walk in the newness of life empowered by the Holy Spirit, not only raised up, but also seated with him in the heavenly places where your life is right now. And so look at Galatians in chapter 2 and verse 20. Make this your own. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh in this body I live by the faith of the Son of God, the one who loved me and gave himself up for me. Notice Paul said he had been crucified. The old man had been put away. He said he is a new man. Christ is in him. Speaking of the resurrection, 
the spiritual resurrection from the water grave. But you know, baptism isn't the end. Immersion is the beginning. We need to obey the fullness of the gospel. The seven-part gospel does not end at the resurrection of Christ. It speaks of his appearing powerfully as a man never to die again. Appearing to a multitude of people and addressing their issues and concerns, ministering to them, and then being ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand of glory from which he will come and judge. We need to obey all seven parts, brethren. Once we're raised up out of the water grave, we're just getting started. So important that we recognize that. And that's what this is talking about. I want you to take a look at Galatians 3.22. Galatians 3.22. Again, talking about the faith of Christ. In Galatians 3.22, take a look there. But the scripture has shut up everyone under sin so that the promise by faith, the faith of Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. I want you to do your own study, brethren, and we're going to talk about it again here at the local assembly. Uh, not today, but in, in weeks to come. The promise is God's promise, not just of salvation, but more importantly, that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit by which we could walk in the newness of life, by which we are ever present in him and he is present in us. So the power of his presence is ever available to us, not just for our blessing, but literally to impact those around us. Because we already showed that a man or woman of integrity or virtue, sadly, is an anomaly in our culture, and yet people will draw near to them when things shake out because they know that man, that woman's going to be the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, no matter how bad it gets. I'm going to hang on and stand with those who are going to stand as men and women of integrity. What about you? See, and that's the kind of people we need to be because people are drawn to them. Ann Shlokovich was watching this morning from Minsk, Belarus. Her classmate, as I shared with you before, wants to know about Christ because she sees something different in Ann. She's not grumpy. She's not upset. She has joy. And that's literally what Ann told me. And I said, well, praise God. Because you're living the life and people are seeing it. And it draws people. So we have fullness of joy. We have pleasures forever. As we walk in the newness of life, the path of life, that God is able to show us through his word as we dwell with him in glory. The promise is the Holy Spirit. If you've obeyed the gospel, you've received the Holy Spirit, your sons and daughters of God, and you have the power of God available to you through faith. Now, what is the faith of Christ? What is the faith of Christ? Take a look with me once again in the book of Acts in chapter 2, and then we'll draw uh, the lesson to a conclusion before the Lord's Supper. In Acts chapter 2, Please remember, this is not David speaking. This is David, by way of prophecy, communicating the heart, the mind, and the voice of Jesus Christ. For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope. Because you will not abandon my soul to hate, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Psalms 1611, 
You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness in your presence. That's Jesus Christ speaking of being in the presence of God. And I want you to look at one more passage of scripture from the book of Mark. Jesus knew exactly what he needed to do, and he knew exactly what was going to happen based upon what he had learned in the Old Testament scriptures. He walked by faith. He walked by faith. He was born as a baby, incubated nine months in Mary's womb, comes forth, and he had to learn it all, just like you and I, from the scriptures he had available. And he rose up and walked perfectly according to faith. So we are able to if we walk in the faith of Christ. So turning to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 9 and verse 31, notice what Mark records here as the words of Christ. And we're going to use this as transitioning into our conclusion. Mark chapter 9, verse 31 through 38. From there they went out and began to go through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know about it, for he was teaching his disciples and telling them, The Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. uh, And when he has been killed, he will rise three days later. But they did not understand his statement, and they were afraid to ask him. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in in the house, he began to question them, saying, What were you discussing on the way? And he kept silent. I think I got the wrong verse passage here. Let's try Luke chapter 9 and verse 31. Luke 9, 31, I think that's the one. Parallel passage. Actually, if you want to make a change in your lesson plans, it's actually Luke chapter 9, uh, verse 21, down through verse 27. So if you change that in your note sheets... This is the passage of scripture. It's a parallel passage, what we just read, but it's the passage I was hoping that, uh, or I desired to read. So uh, Luke chapter nine, verse 21, down through verse 27. And you'll see why this is the correct passage to communicate the thought of the faith of Abraham, the faith of Christ. But he warned them and instructed them not to tell this to anyone, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Notice he knew that he was going to die and notice he knew that he was going to be raised up on the third day. He knew that was going to happen. Absolute confidence. And so he set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem because he had a date with a, a Roman cross. He understood that how? Because he read it in the Old Testament. He understood that that's what his life entailed, a complete sacrifice. But let's continue to read. It goes on in verse 23. And he was saying to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of his Father and the holy angels. But I say to you truthfully, there are some of those standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God come. Notice it says that he was also knowing that he was going to be ascended into heaven. 
So the faith of Christ has one additional part. So in your faith of Christ, Acts chapter 2, verse 25 through 28, and in Luke uh, chapter 9, verse 21 through 27, here are the three. And you want to write them down in your notes, that would be great. Jesus knew that he was going to be crucified. He knew that he had to be crucified in order for the sins of the world to be taken away. Do you know, do you believe, do you realize, do you understand that when you are immersed, you are being crucified with Christ so that your sins might be taken away? If you were immersed and you did not have that understanding, your, your, your sins were not taken away. It's by faith that we are saved. And so by faith, we go to the waters of immersion knowing that God will crucify us there and take away our sins, circumcising the old man and out of our life. Is that why you went? Did you go because of the faith of Christ? I'm going to be crucified. I'm getting rid of that old man. Is that why you went? If it's not, you didn't have the right faith. You didn't have the faith of Christ. You didn't have the faith of Abraham. And the second part there is, is that he was going to be raised up on the third day. Do you believe that when you were immersed, that you were actually being raised up out of the water, but literally raised up out of death and darkness and into his marvelous light? Did you believe that? If you did not believe that when you were immersed, it didn't happen. Because God powerfully works through the faith of Christ. Sadly, in the churches of Christ, we find many people being baptized for the forgiveness of sins, but they have no clue of what's happening, that they are by faith being crucified. So the old man continues to exist and sadly excels excel still more and more sometimes. You see, the new man must manifest a glorified man, and that's the third part of the faith of Christ. That you, in fact, are seated in the heavenly places with him right now. You are dwelling in glory right now. There is fullness of joy in his presence right now. Pleasures forever right now. Do you have that faith? Well, let's grow our faith so that we have joy in every situation and circumstance. We find it great pleasure to suffer for his name's sake. That's what happened in the first century. Their faith was transcendent. It wasn't based on the situation and circumstance. It was the faith of Christ. Christ considered all joy that he could lay his life down for you, that he would have a beautiful bride. We are his bride. That was so pleasant for him, although it was torturous in this life, it was great joy for him. We can have that now regardless of the circumstance and situation. Brethren, how important is it for us to understand that we're in his presence and he is present in us? I believe without it, we will not be more than conquerors. We'll be a beaten people, for we will walk by sight and not by faith. We must be people who walk by faith, the faith of Christ, so that we can experience the fullness of joy and the spiritual pleasures forever, so we can fully understand the life that we've been given, the path of life abundant. Brethren, my prayer is, is that we would be those people, seated with him, with full knowledge and understanding, 
walking in wisdom because we know who we are and we know where we are. That is why the, the power of presence and understanding is so critical to the Christian man and the Christian woman being more than a conqueror, being a liberator, to bring all men unto Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, now as we transition to the time for the Lord's Supper, what a critically important time. This is when we remember once again why we can walk in newness of life. It's because of the amazing sacrifice of Christ, because the shedding of his blood, he intentionally went to that cross. No one was going to keep him from going, and no one was going to take him down once he got there. Amazing. The faith drove him to the cross by which, it says, our sins were born in his body. Father, we are free this morning because of his sacrifice. Help us to rejoice in that freedom. But not just rejoicing in his freedom, but let's share this freedom with other people. If our life is truly Christ's life, then we need to lay our lives down in love and sacrifice to bring other people unto you. Father, I pray we would not forget this week. Why, Lord's Supper? So remember what your son Jesus Christ did for us so that we'll remember what we need to do for him. Why the unleavened bread? Because the life that he has given to us is sinless and that we need to walk in this new life, blameless and holy in all our conduct, just as you are. Father, help us not to forget our calling in Christ and help us not to forget this week to continue to participate in the sacrifice of Christ as was shared uh, this morning in the book of Luke in chapter 9. Denying self, taking up our cross, and following and living like and for Jesus Christ. We pray this now as the emblems will be passed in Jesus' name. Well, that concludes our morning assembly, and I'm so thankful that you are able to join us on uh, Facebook Live. I want to remind you that, uh, uh, Lord willing, in the next week or two, we'll be out at the uh, church building, and we'll continue, though, with our uh, live uh, presentations of the lessons. But also, too, let me encourage you, if you're concerned about what's happening, uh, Wednesday evenings, we're working on a series entitled God and Government, uh, historical, biblical, and constitutional perspective of what's going on. And so let me encourage you to do that on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock uh, here, Facebook Live. And uh, you hear a lot of people complaining about what's happening, but not doing anything. This is how we turn the hearts of individuals and turn the hearts of families and communities and ultimately uh, civil government, that they might be our servants according to God's standard. So uh, you would like to join me, that would be great. Also, too, uh, I'm sure to appreciate all the brethren that came out this morning here. And, and so uh, I'm looking forward to the time we're out at the church building. So you take care and, and God bless. Have a great Sunday. Bye now. Thanks once again for listening. To download today's lesson plan or find out more about Cornerstone Truth Podcast and our church, please go to www.cornerstonetruth.org or email us at thecornerstonetruth at gmail.com. Have a blessed week.